You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. I'm your host, Trent Fleskins, as always. And we have Damon Sugden from Capital Partners back in the studio today. We are talking cash management, a bit of debt management, maybe a bit of cash flow management. What do you call it? Yeah, I think it's all entwined, but at the end of the day, cash flow and its management is crucial to any household, any, um, I guess, uh, analysis of investment. It's what it boils down to. It's the lifeblood of your household, your business. Even if you're not investing in property, the I guess you, you probably don't even qualify. You wouldn't have saved enough money if you have poor cash flow management skills to even buy a property. So before you get into that financial space, you need to be in the headspace. You need to have the right behaviors, uh, the right routines and rituals to save that money. And mo- most of us don't make 500000 a million dollars a year to just have all this sort of extra money piling in regardless of what we do, right? So we need to be quite conscientious with the money. And having those behaviors set in place before we purchase is really critical, especially for someone getting into a property development because uh, what you'll realize when you're doing a property development, the holding costs on that get more and more expensive until you sell or rent to a point where it's in the magnitude of three, $4,000 a month in interest that you're shelling out. So uh, cash flow management at that point is super important. Hit us with what you know. Yeah, uh, it comes back to the fundamentals and this simple starting point for any strategy, especially if you're at that end of property development and, and incurring those sort of costs in the shorter term, the, for your financial well-being, a budget is a great way to start. And you know, you mentioned this word budget, and people's eyes glaze boring, like yeah, yeah. yeah big big <laughs> yawn. But it, and it can be really scary to actually realise where your money actually goes each month. But inversely, it can be really insightful and empowering as, as a first step to taking control of your finances. It is your money. You have a right to know where it's going and what, what you're doing with it. And I guess today there's also so many apps that can help you, but a good old-fashioned spreadsheet, which you're in fully con- full control of, can be just as Mate, effective. the spreadsheet is the way that I've been running since 2009. I purchased my p- first property in 2009. Before I purchased that, I started a, a budget, a spreadsheet, and forecasted the next 18 months of my income and expenses to understand what I could afford, when I would have the savings, when I would be able to cover the build costs and all that. At 19, right, I was quite young then, and to this day, my OCD has maintained that that spreadsheet from being, you know, uh, 12 columns wide and maybe 15 rows deep to being hundreds of columns wide over the last 12 years and probably a hundred and something uh, rows deep. Uh, And now it's quite a time-consuming monthly thing. But what it has given me from being a young 19-year-old to now being a business owner of a number of business uh, uh, arms is confidence. I find that uh, when I get a bit nervous or restless about the world, I have a I log on to my spreadsheet. I have a look at how the budget's going, and and uh, you know that we're safe in for this time frame. And it has given me the foresight and confidence over the last twelve years, and the number of properties I've developed and invested in to to do that in the first place, rather than you know lack of information is power, Damon. Absolutely, yeah, that clarity. I think we could all do with a pinch of your OCD. If, <laughs> if, the, if that's the that's the result, that would be that would be awesome. But yeah, but ultimately, you want to understand how much you spend now with a focus on your ability to ha- or understand how much you can actually save. Then if you've got a clear picture of what the goal is, now I know this is a recurring theme, the end in mind. I will get off my soapbox eventually about that, but that's what we're, we're aspiring to achieve, the, the end goal. 
It might be... Or it's a deposit. In this, in, For us, yeah. in this podcast, yep. it has to be a big enough deposit either to buy a property and or develop a property. Yeah, so or, let's talk about when, that being the goal. Or when you can re- repay the existing loan so you can leverage into the, the, the next project yep. as well. So understanding how much is required to achieve all of that and when you'd like to achieve the goal. And I'm not, not just talking like, okay, in 2030 you want to do this. And a specific date. Give yourself yep. an actual benchmark to go off. Give the goal a name. A name that really resonates a with you. A milestone. Yeah. yeah, yeah, some sort of milestone name. It has to be next June, I have to have 80 grand in the bank. I've currently got 50. What's it going to take me to get that extra 30 with the $80,000 coming in and the $50,000 of expenses? How do I make sure that that is not $60,000 and it doesn't take me another four months to get there? That's what we're talking about, right? Exactly right, and not just leaving it to the to the end point, but you can monitor your progress each month, each quarter, each six months, whatever it is, against the progress benchmark that you've mapped out because you know how much you can save, timeline as to when you want to achieve it, a definitive date. Now, I think we previously spoke in another episode, the benefits of using some cash flow modeling to understand the implications. Hang on, that's, that when you start talking about things like modeling, it scares people. Practically, what is modeling? For me, the way that I model is simply at the end of every month, I go on my bank statement, I check what things I spent money on and what I didn't and where I got income from and where I didn't and I plug it in to to the the cells in the spreadsheet. Is it as simple as that? Yeah, it can be or it can be far more complex than you start modeling out what might be likely an outcome of, of so your forecasting lifetime. so forecasting could we use that word as well you could forecasting forms part of it because obviously you're going to be taking some uh, assumptions that how your regular income is going to or the rental income is going to continue yeah. so from your property at the said given rate so you might want to dial it back a bit get a little bit more conservative but or just extract it what happens if we endure six months without a tenant are we going to be okay how okay, am i, so how case am I then going to, yeah how am Stress I then going to fund the property expenses, my regular lifestyle, kids getting to, to school, their education, whatever your situation might be? You can stress test yep. your scenario because you've got a really intimate understanding of your cash flow and how it works. Well, that's how I run. I have always got between 12 and 18 months of the future of my forecasted incomes and expenses modeled out. It's a guesstimate, but it's a pretty good guesstimate based on business uh, activity, based on what I'm buying, what I'm selling in property, the rent that is in the market, the interest rates, the rates. You can forecast these things out. And what it does is at the bottom, you'll have totals for every month of the amount of money you'll either have coming in or going out as a balance. Add that all up and that should be the amount you can save in that time frame, right? It, it sounds simple. It, it, it can be simple. It, it can be. And you, interesting point, you mentioned the interest rates there. I mean, we're probably such a far cry from any increases, but it will happen one day. This is the time to save. If you can't save in 2020 or at least you know 2021, given that some people have been affected by COVID, Indeed. if next year you can't save in Perth, I don't know when you could. But I think simulating what the impact on an interest rate rise could have, could have because if one day it will, one will happen. Yeah, one day we'll be back at 5%. Exactly right. And the impact on, on your cash flow, impact on the, the expected yield from your property investment or, or other investment. Can um, we just kick that can down the road? Can we just say, look, we'll deal with that if it happens and when it happens? Yeah, but I think setting the expectations of how you would react and what will happen to your budget can be really powerful because then 
you are able to think with a clear mind on what plan B, what plan C needs to be. So come the time it actually happens and it hits the fan, you've mapped out what's going to happen and you're going to be less swayed by the emotions that you're going through at that time. So you're setting yourself up for success by simulating a worst case scenario and thinking with a clear, logical mind as opposed to the time when it actually happens and emotions are really going to be pushing and pulling you in some pretty different directions. Now, let's say we're not good with Excel and we're more visual people. We're, pro- we're not even that great with numbers. You referenced some apps. Where's the new tech space taking us in terms of helping us to uh, work with our budgets if it's just not our thing? There's actual apps that can tap into your your banking app and sync up with that, and it will show you and it will allocate, hey, X amount's going to groceries, X amount's going to council rates. Um, so you can just download a spreadsheet from that or some some form of visual output which will show you a bit of a pie chart of where your money's going where your money's coming from and what do you think about those apps you know i think one of them's called squirrel or something like that where they sort of round all of your expenses up and squirrel away you know the, the rounding numbers the extra cents for every expense you take into a savings account do you like those ideas or do you think they're a waste of time you know what that's probably a really good solution for a we're really young accumulator. You're in your first job and you just want to start a good habit of, of starting to invest something in a really low-cost investment solution and it's just going to be automated. It's going to happen without you you noticing it. So probably a, a, a benefit provided that you're aware of the costs and what it's actually investing you in and you're happy with that. With, with the risk. We've spoken about risk profile before, meaning that you don't need that money for the foreseeable future in that you can stomach the ups and downs of the market from an emotional point of view, um, probably the, the key benefits, and you can sleep sleep at night around that. On the other side of this equation, uh, we've, we've spoken about the opportunity side of things where things are pretty rosy. We, we're looking towards setting goals and we're going to achieve them. What about for those people who really have struggled over the last few years with their cash management? They're in a lot of debt. What services are out there to assist people with debt reduction or or you know, getting out of a bad situation. There are companies like My Budget, those sort of debt reduction businesses out there, where I guess they assist with those plans and and those templates and spreadsheets. And I'm pretty sure they have online, uh, you know, services, cloud-based services that you can plug into. Um, I think you know, having the humility to ask for help from companies like that, if you are in a situation where you're just not good at all. At debt, at debt reduction or cash flow management or savings, credit cards that are maxed out. I think those are the places where humility is the first place to start if you're not great with it. Uh, and having a, having a, a partner might not even have to, be, have to be a team that you a team that you pay. But if you're not great with the numbers and you're more of a creative, it'd probably be a smart idea to find yourself a life partner that is better on that side of the equation, right? <laughs> yeah. The, Someone good, runs the budget, the other point. people keep makes life interesting. Uh, it's, it is a, a team effort at the end of the day. And back to that initial, uh, initial discussion around getting a clear idea of your budget and your, your cash flow, you can keep each other accountable to it, uh, you know. More, more power between you than just as the individual. So it's all well and good to talk about, uh, I guess, saving and spending less things, you know, going out and getting less ice cream, less beers on a Friday night, uh, buying less T-shirts uh, on, on High Street. Uh, but one thing that I think is, a, is always going to be, a, I see, a big drain on people's ability to save their disposable income is interest payments. And that might be interest payments on existing houses. It might be interest payments on personal loans, car loans, credit cards. Uh, again, 
it's about hitting the big fish first, in my opinion. Where are the low? Where's the low-hanging fruit? Because you know, at the end of the day, unless we're looking for a new job or we're exceeding and we're you know we're succeeding in our industry, and which is tough to do right now with COVID. Not many people mm-hmm. are getting pay rises, um, so our income's going to be what it's going to be. We can minimize our day-to-day living expenses as much as possible without making our life you know pretty boring. But outside of that, it's got to be about attacking our debt sources, doesn't it? Yeah, it's re- really important is debt, debt management. And if you've got multiple debts, various interest rates, you know, the personal loan versus the credit card versus the home loan. What are you paying off first? Attack the highest rate of interest. It has to be the credit cards and the personal loans, it really right? Does. A mortgage is, if you haven't got, you know, had a refinance on your mortgage and your mortgage isn't in two point something percent and low twos for an owner-occupied property, uh, an owner-occupied loan, then you should do first. But if it is, if your home loan is at 2.29%, it's the cheapest money we're ever going to have in our life. It's nearly negligible. It's half, it's a third of what it was 10 years ago. But the, the personal rates, the credit cards, they're still quite considerably high. You cannot be paying interest on a monthly basis for credit cards, surely. Yeah, indeed. That, that's the one that you want to attack first. And sometimes this goes against what we emotionally think. Because maybe we've got, let's, say, let's map out the scenario where we've got two credit cards. One's got a $3,000 balance and one's got a $10,000 balance. The $3,000 balance is 17% and the $10,000 you're paying 22. A lot of people will go, well, hang on, the smaller balance is more achievable first, so I'm going to just attack that. And I, I see it happen versus attacking the higher interest rate. Yeah, it'll take you a little bit longer to, to chip away at that, but financially, it makes much more dollar sense. Dollar for dollar, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So sometimes you need to step aside from your own emotions and look at it from quite a, a logical or um, or the numbers side of thing for your own best interest. Spoke about humility before. I think one of the biggest humblers, especially for a lot of men, uh, a lot of tradies, is recognizing the fact that their $50,000 car loan on their $40,000 Hilux is not helping them and is trapping them quite significantly. You know, $500 a fortnight is usually the repayments on these things, which really kills mm. people's ability to move forward. All for what? Just to have a shinier, sexier Hilux than other people around them. For me, a lot of the time when I'm chatting with that, the outcome a lot of the, you know, ends up being, mate, ditch the Hilux, get a $10,000 <laughs> car, and, and it will, you know, do most of the things you want to do. Cars can provide so much enjoyment, but uh, the expression is, by the cheapest car that your ego can afford. <laughs> That's a very good expression. I have a fairly large ego and I'm driving around a $5,000 car, so I don't know how that works. But <laughs> You've you've uh, put your hand up to being OCD with your spreadsheet, so maybe that gives yeah, us some insight. That's probably what it is. Yeah. What, what car are you driving around, Dan? I'm driving a little hybrid around, so oh, yeah. yeah, it just gets gets me from, from A to B. Don't, I've got a sort of 15, 20-minute commute, so... I enjoy the the uh, perceived saving on on petrol. Oh, you get on that as well. So yeah, and I enjoy fueling up on a Tuesday night when it's cheaper. <laughs> well, all these little things. But again, I think back to the start. They're habits. You have to uh, you have to build these habits in. You have to value them. They have to itch the back of your brain when you're not uh, following them, and you can't sweep them under the rug. Debt is something that you can never sweep under the rug. It will just continually get lumpier and lumpier until you can't walk there anymore. And you've got to turn it over and it's just a big uh, dust monster. So uh, I suggest everyone, before you're getting into property, before you're getting into property development, get those cash flow behaviors under control, even if you do have the cash because uh, you'll find out very quickly you'll feel poor You'll feel very cash poor once you buy a property or get into it, especially if you get into a development. Uh, and it will be those behaviors about using the cash you do have to have a good life that will 
get you through both uh, just financially, but also uh, psychologically as well. Damon, thank you very much for coming in, mate. Appreciate the chat on cash flow management and really just signposting today what it takes to be prepared to purchase your own property. Too many people get cheap loans from Keystart. They're not ready. They are mortgaging in possession. They're distressed sales. We don't want people in that situation. And the way that you you essentially avoid that situation is actually prepare yourself, take it seriously. It's one of the biggest investment decisions you'll ever make in your life. Clarity around your income, clarity around your expenses, clarity around what you can save is step one. Always a pleasure, Trent. Thank you. Okay, suburb spotlight time now. We are talking Ascot. Unique suburb, very small. When you look at the dimensions of the suburb, it's it's really just a riverside suburb that hits a couple of groins there uh, outside Belmont and uh, close to the Gout Road Bridge, close to Ascot Racecourse, which is a big part of the history of this suburb. There's one man who can talk about this suburb. He's the number one agent for Cloverdale, Belmont, Rivervale, Kewdale, uh, Redcliffe as well. This is number six. There's not a man in Western Australia who is the number one agent in uh, four suburbs, let alone six suburbs. It is Devin Kelly. Thank you very much for coming in. Dev? Uh, thanks, Trent. Happy to be here. Unique from a perspective of a buyer and a seller, but unique for you as well as an agent, isn't it? It's not every day that you sell a property in Ascot, even though you are the number one agent. No, Ascot's a really tightly held suburb, and uh, generally people, the average time they spend there is at least 10 years. It's a pretty uh, old demographic as well. And how many properties are actually sold every year in this suburb? Oh, you you would be lucky to see more than 40 per year, and that's over the last 10 years. The age of the average owner down there would be uh, 50 to 60 years old, and uh, not a lot of investment properties down there. Yeah, so really tightly held, owner-occupied properties. And in Ascot isn't just you know one little enclave. There's a number of spots there, isn't there? You've got your race course, Ascot, where there's some interesting zoning, which I'd love for you to talk about that. You've got Ascot Waters, you've got the marina, you've got more of the Belmont side. Hit me up with all that information. Yeah, like well, you're probably starting off at Ascot Waters, which was developed back in 1994, and that was a state-of-the-art new land subdivision, and a lot of people built two stories on smaller blocks. And then you had the marina, and that's really come of age now. There's a very large uh, apartment complex nearing completion down there that's selling well. That was the Blackburn construction, isn't it? The Blackburn one, uh, right in the middle of the marina. So you've got uh, uh, the blue ribbon location uh, of Ascot Waters. That used to be a dump, didn't it? That whole area used to be a tip. Yeah, Dad used to take us down there in the trailer, and that was a fun thing to do on a Sunday. I find, that, I guess, the revitalization of these areas, I'm surprised it didn't happen earlier. I'm surprised more people don't look at living in a place like Ascot Waters. It's, it is quite a nice place to be and quite accessible to the city. Uh, well, I did have one there for sale about six weeks ago, and I had 50 people through on a Wednesday home open, yeah. and it was absolute chaos. Because they're very tightly held, uh, not many homes come on the market. We do get a lot of uh, interested neighbours, um, but there's there's a stack of people wanting to get into the location, but some of the homes are dating there. Tell me about the horses that reside in Ascot. Oh, the horses, uh, the horse area. I'm f- quite fond of that area. I used to live in Leak Street uh, some or well, many years ago. You're looking at your average size blocks of 911 squares with a nice big family home. And those homes are going between, you know, 700 and there's one that's just gone for 1.2 million. You've skipped over the whole point of this precinct though, Devin. There are horses 
in there are horse stables there are horses there are a lot this is where a lot of the veterinary clinics are what's going on how uh, can we have horses next to the river it's a lifestyle it's a lifestyle area uh, like rural uh, 10 meters from the city um, it's but a very special zoning isn't it it's a special you zoning can't do a triplex R- r10 is all you're going to get there but you know ascot itself you know the horse horses came uh, the first race was down in 1848 was the first race in Ascot. And then they basically constructed the Ascot uh, Inn in 1897. So it's got a very steep history of trainers, jockeys and punters. Do you think there's a risk that we lose that history uh, with Push for Land subdivision? we got two race courses very close to each other. We have Belmont Racecourse and Ascot, both in your precinct, obviously. Do we need them both? And if one of them's going to go, which one would it be? Because I think it'd be a real shame to lose... Uh, you know what is a very unique precinct of our southern suburbs well perth racing has spent a lot of money uh, revitalizing uh, the old grandstand and ascot race course uh, there has been a push from landowners to try and get some rezoning happening there because you've got such uh, large par- large parcels of land but the council are definitely not interested in changing anything in that uh, in that location I've got a very large site uh, that I subdivided, the old Ascot uh, water playground, and we've got blocks there, single residential, 1,300 square metre blocks. Perfect for big family McMansions, and uh, you know you can get one of those for 550000 which is an absolute steal. At a per square metre rate, that is ridiculous. It is. It, it is. It's probably the cheapest riverside land in Perth. We have the interesting sort of horse area, you know, stables, zoning, you have Ascot Waters in the marina, but there is still a res- more of a basic residential area of Ascot too. Yeah, well, the, the, there's not all horses in the in the horse area. You've got a lot of people that are discovering the location and just wanting to be able to stroll to the river, uh, walk the dogs, have a goat, uh, <laughs> whichever way you want to go. And then you get on the other side of Tonkin Highway uh, you've got Garvey Park, Fauntleroy Avenue. You've got Ty Braddon on Swan, which is uh, is starting to date a little bit. But you know you can get a home down there for four hundred to four hundred and fifty thousand, and you're in Ascot. I find it strange that across the river areas like Joel Terrace and East Perth and Maylands, the price per square meter is so much higher than you know, a lot of Ascot. Why do you think that is? Is it the quality of home? Is it the is it views? I mean, I would have thought, you know, for example, living in South, you've got, the, you've got the city of views being south of the river. If you're looking for a quiet lifestyle close to the city, Ascot is where to, where to be. You haven't got your bustling cafes and, you know, your busy streets. It's a very, very tranquil location. When it comes to uh, who actually is buying, obviously the existing population, the sellers, they're older. As you said, it's, a, it's one of the oldest demographics of, of owners in Ascot. Are they getting replaced by old buyers or new young people? Uh, the last four blocks that I've sold in Ascot, 1,300 square metres each, have all gone to buyers that would probably be 35 to 45. Uh, looking to build big family homes and create an entourage of children and stick around themselves. Yeah, and they've and they're also building big uh, garages for their toys, so they're well healed people. What are those price points then? Do you have apartments in Ascot? Uh, out, I mean, I guess the apartments that we're talking about that have to be the Marina East uh, development with Blackburn, wouldn't they? 
Yeah, well, I was looking at some prices of those, and they go up to 900000 for a three-bedroom. People um, are paying that. People are paying that. And when you start looking at your two-bedrooms, um, they're, they're paying basically uh, $699 for a two-bedroom. Uh, there's a one-bedroom that's just gone there at 450 Yeah, wow. And I guess the next price point... Uh, around that space, it'd have to be Ascot Waters, right? You could you could pay seven figures in Ascot Waters, can't you? Oh, look, you definitely, yeah. You, you, if you can find the right home, if someone's willing to sell their home, otherwise you, you're going to have to go and buy a block. Uh, I did sell a very tired two-story down there for seven sixty-five. The block next door sold for six hundred, and that was a five hundred square meter block. Well, I mean, there you go. There's that that price point. You know, looking at twelve hundred a square meter, there you're probably paying four, five, six hundred to build on them. Uh, the the, 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 home, the home that's going up on it at the moment would probably be a seven hundred grand home. Yep. There's another block that I sold in Ascot that was riverfront. Uh, went for eight fifty. Uh, the gentleman's uh, spending one million on his home. Now, if I wanted to do any level of development in Ascot, can I? Or is it really precluded given the horses owning, given the tightly held uh, small parcels of land in Ascot waters? Are there really any opportunities or do I really have to be sticking to Cloverdale, Rivervale, Belmont? The only area that's R20 is on the other side of Tonkin Highway, closer to uh, Fontleroy Avenue. You're going to be battling to find 900 square metres down there, but... That probably is your only opportunity. Given that it's such a tightly held suburb in the first place, it's, it'd be you couldn't plan for it. You wouldn't be able, You would have to door knock the area to get a to get a look in. Development wise, you'd probably be better off going over to the Redcliffe train station. Yeah, look, that's an interesting one we've spoken about before, uh, and and I guess that's going to have an effect on the lifestyle of Ascot itself when that comes through because it is next door. You're only 1K uh, from the train station if you live in the stable area or in uh, Tybradden on Swan. If you're at Ascot Waters and the marina, you're probably nearly walking distance from that train station, wouldn't you be? Oh, you're probably a little bit further, but it wouldn't take too much as a 500-car park and ride down there and uh, you're all of a sudden you're in the city. It'd probably be, I guess, hard to have a median house price in this suburb because they're very unique and, and different properties right you've got huge land holdings that are specially zoned you've got huge land holdings for family homes you've got new apartments you don't really have many old apartments and you've got ascot waters townhouse precinct there really isn't a standard run-of-the-mill characterization of an ascot home is there no not unless you start looking at maybe an older three-bedroom character home in the stable area you would probably be looking at around about six hundred thousand for entry level there and that's that is very close to the median price for Ascot, which is five eighty. Is that what you'd be buying if you had that in your pocket today, Dev? If I had six hundred to spend in Ascot, yeah, I'd be going for a nine eleven square meter block with a double brick and tile character home. Why? I wouldn't think that there's going to be a rezone, but I think there's going to be a shortage of character homes on larger blocks close to the river in years to come, as the areas like Rivervale. Vic Park, Bayswater are all redeveloped. Um, you're finding just front stratas and rear blocks, where Ascot is the re- is the true rural lifestyle. Yeah, and that's the thing where I guess it bucks that trend is not only is it a rural lifestyle given the zoning. I think it's got it's like special rural or something. The zoning, it's just the positioning of it. it you can't get any closer to the river 
and yet you still have a rural zoning. I think that's really special and it's going to take a lot for a council to scale that to a development zoning or even just a residential zoning at any time in the future. I think there is a lot of protection, as you're saying. There's a lot of uh, safety in knowing that if you're going to invest your lifestyle into that zoning, it ain't changing for a very long time. No, uh, look, I'm, I'm very fond of Ascot. Whenever I get the call from an owner to sell a property in Ascot, it, I find it a bit of a challenge because uh, there is a lot of buyer inquiry for it, but there's no stock. Yeah, well, that's probably the, the problem with a lot of suburbs right now. Whilst we've got you here and we can make the most of your time, Dev, can you give us an update on the broader city of Belmont area? How does Ascot sit in with how the buyer-seller demographic is going in Q3 2020? At the moment, Belmont is still very tightly held. Listings are hard to get. We're finding uh, most of the listings are due to mortgage stress, marriage breakdowns, uh, relocation. Uh, It's a very happy location. You wouldn't be selling unless you're under duress. Is there a bit of a clear golden child right now? If you could pick a suburb in the city of Belmont, which one's showing clear price rises right now? Uh, Rivervale is definitely on the move, but we're running short of good quality development sites. So I would say directly around the Belmont Forum within one or two blocks or over at the old Redcliffe uh, location where the train station's going in, that will be the hot spot in the next year or two. Okay. Devin, really appreciate your time, mate, and just that update that uh, probably the last time we had you in was probably four or five months ago talking about Redcliffe. And you already said then that you know the level of work you'd had had picked up markedly year on year. Will you say that the same has just continued to rise? Look, we're getting some very good prices for properties at the moment uh, due to the shortage. And I can see that continuing on. As soon as the borders open, we're going to get a massive influx of people coming to WA, especially FIFO workers, and their destination is somewhere between the airport and the city. Uh, Sounds like the city of Belmont. City of Belmont, Mr. Belmont. (laughs) Place to be. Mate, thanks very much. Appreciate it. Look, that's this. That's the six suburbs of the city of Belmont. You have covered all six. Congratulations. You are still the number one uh, in in those spaces, and and, uh, keep working hard. I, I don't know how you do it, but, mate, appreciate all that time you give to us in those perspectives, and I think next time we're just going to have to get you in on a more broad basis. How's the city of Belmont going? Thanks, Trent. Happy to be here, mate. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!